This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. As I've been saying for several months now, it is better late than never. Kristen Cinema, the unpredictable senator from Arizona, and the last remaining holdout stopping the progress of the landmark Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, can once again hold her head high and retake her seat amongst her fellow Democrats. Because late Thursday, she announced her support of the bill, but not without compromises. Democratic leaders agreed to drop a $14 billion tax increase on some wealthy hedge fund managers and private equity executives that she had opposed for reasons known only to herself. She is in a hugely powerful position. Yet the one thing she's asking for while she is in the catbird seat is is to leave the carried interest loophole alone. Can you help us understand how that would serve anyone in the state of Arizona, a complete hookup for private equity titans? Who in Arizona would care about that? She also asked that changes be made to the structure of the 15% tax on corporations that's included in the bill and a little cash money to help Arizona deal with their current drought crisis and extreme fire conditions. But the truth is that I've always fought for Arizona, and I have been proud to serve our state in elected office. Cinema has made Joe Manchin look almost reasonable, but I'm not going to kick the gift horse in the mouth. Democrats are now one step closer to enacting a package that includes hundreds of billions of dollars for climate and energy programs on top of a proposal to reduce the price of prescription drugs and extend expanded health insurance coverage, according to the New York Times. And it's expected to lower the deficit by $300 billion in the process. I mean, it's fucking brilliant. You guys are on fire. And ice. Ice and fire! And let us savor the shock and awe of Chuck Schumer's quiet but deadly deal-making that took Republicans completely by surprise. And despite the fact that in lockstep with Mitch McConnell, every single Republican will vote against the bill, the measure has the unanimous support of Democrats. Translation? This bill is walking the razor's edge in a 50-50 Senate, but we have the votes and we're moving forward. In the affirmative, and the bill, as amended, is passed. All right, everybody, after uh, 24 hours or so of work um, on this bill, uh, Vice President Harris there being the tie-breaking vote, Um, On the Senate floor today, it seems as if we have confirmation from the vice president herself, the Inflation Reduction Act has, in fact, passed today. In a week that just keeps getting better for the president, the U.S. just added 528,000 jobs in July, making up for all the job loss due to COVID and then some. But the good news here is that it appears less and less likely we are headed for a recession. All eyes are on the Fed now to see if, when and how much they will raise interest rates. But with salaries up and gas prices down, corporations may take a hit, but it'll give Republicans less to bitch about during the midterms. What a week of contrast. As President Biden was racking up win after win, Republicans were pushing abortion bans, social security cuts, election denial, and watching their midterm prospects begin to fade. And while we're at it, let's just do a quick recap of Biden's week. 
the president had COVID for a second time, but somehow still managed a drone strike that took out Al-Qaeda's top boss and remarkably, no one else. He signed a second executive order to protect doctors and safeguard what's left of abortion rights. He signed two major bills, the Honoring Our Pact Act that helps veterans affected by toxic burn pits and the CHIPS bill that will boost the production of semiconductors and keep the United States competitive with China. The Inflation Reduction Act is about to pass also, so hey, let's go Joe! Or let's go Dark Brandon, as the clever kids on the interweb have started to call him. Dark Brandon, rise up. For all those of you who voted for President Trump, there's no way out. Dark Brandon is essentially a series of memes that transforms Biden from the creaky, besieged, chronically ineffective Delawarean to a mastermind of the dark arts. Doc Brandon can't be stopped, reads one meme of Biden with glowing yellow eyes like a Dragon Ball Z villain. There's another where he's got on his classic aviators paired with a five o'clock shadow that simply reads, it's over Jack. Or my favorite one, actions speak louder than golf. So for all you fucking MAGA asshats who've spent the last few years screaming, let's go Brandon, in a thinly veiled way of saying fuck you to the old man, I say let's go dark Brandon, take back your power and keep kicking ass. It's nice to have a little good news to share after a few bleak months. Alex Jones has been completely exposed. Mr. Jones, did you know that 12 days ago, your attorneys messed up and sent me an entire digital copy of your entire cell phone with every text message you've sent? Oh, shit, dog. They got your whole phone. And when informed, did not take any steps to identify it as privileged or protect it in any way. And that is how I know you lied to me. Bitch, is over. See, I told you the truth. This is your Perry Mason moment. Perry Mason? Nah, dog, this is more like Matlock, because you about to get Matlocked up. And as of Friday, he now must pay $45 million on top of the $4.1 million to a Sandy Hook family he tortured with his lies. But his phone records, a treasure trove of diabolical coup, plotting, and child porn, have been subpoenaed by the Department of Justice and the January 6th committee. The records contain three years of communications between himself, the Oath Keepers, Roger fucking Stone, Rudy Colludi Giuliani, Trump, and the whole fucking freak show. The irony of the InfoWars guy having all of this info, texts, emails, and financials turned over to his enemies, and by his own dipshit lawyers, is proof certain that karma is the fucking bitch. serious crap. I'm sick of being social engineered. It's not funny. And there may finally be some justice for Breonna Taylor. After her own state punted on the case, Merrick Garland and the DOJ have picked it up and are running with it. Long overdue, but it's happening. I may have to rethink my position on Garland. He's slow, but deliberate. Now let's hope he convicts those cops and gives her family some peace. Because there's no pain like living with injustice. Trust me, it's something I know all too well. Uh, I have news. And what sort of news do you have? Not bad news, is it? You know I can't take bad news. 
The day started out so good. The World Health Organization has declared monkeypox a global emergency. So former news anchor, uh, notoriously combative when you ask her why she believes the election was stolen, because of course there's no proof of that. Uh, but listen, she got the endorsement of Mr. Trump. It was kind of tight, but she won. Carrie Lake officially won her primary in Arizona. But Carrie, what about the stealing you detected? Since her big win, it suddenly no longer matters. I mean, of course, go figure. Choco Taco. This is the thing. This is the thing we need to just be real about with the Choco Taco, all right? Klondike, they lied to us, man. They lied. They, that was an election. We had an election. We voted with our wallets. And we voted the Choco Taco out of the freezer. And now Klondike is trying to change the results of the election. And I will not stand for that. You cannot change the results of an election after the election has been verified and solidified. Election workers are being taunted, trolled, doxxed, and otherwise victimized by the MAGA anti-voting establishment, hell-bent on destroying our democracy, one poll worker at a time. And Christopher Wray admitted that he and the FBI did not follow up on the 4,500 tips that they got regarding Brett Kavanaugh's inappropriate sexual behavior over the years. Pro tip, if 4,500 people come forward to say there's something wrong with a the guy, then there's no denying that it's true. As they say, a thousand Frenchmen can't be wrong. Kavanaugh better watch his back. That's all I gotta say. Furious. You know what make us all feel better? A ladies brunch. These bitches are down for it. And while Donald Trump is still walking around a free man, basketball great Brittany Griner has been sentenced to nine years in a penal colony in Russia. I mean, fucking, for God's sakes, guys, nine years for a vape cartridge no bigger than a cigarette butt. But for all we know, was planted on her. She's high profile and Russia is using her as a gambling chip. We pray for her quick release and that the WNBA addresses the pay inquiry that forces these elite athletes to play elsewhere or accept scraps. Tonight, members of the Connecticut Sun join our colleagues on the Phoenix Mercury at half court for 42 seconds. Brittany Griner's jersey number to recognize the gravity of the moment and collectively send her strength. We're inspired every day by BG's strength, and we are steadfastly committed to keeping her top of mind publicly until she's safely back on American soil. Brittany Griner is not the first victim of this sort of shakedown in Russia. In June of this year, American Mark Fogel, a teacher at the Anglo-American school in Moscow, was convicted of the exact same crime, a vape cartridge with trace amounts of THC. I mean, that's prescribed to him by a doctor. But Fogel got 14 years. The State Department is now engaged in serious negotiations for their release. And also, former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan, who in 2020 was sentenced to 16 years for allegedly spying. I mean, seriously, let's all just say the same together. Godspeed. And last but not least, I want to give a shout out to Liz Cheney. Her interview Thursday on CNN was really something. We're here in Wyoming where you are facing a really tough primary in no small part because of the role that you've taken on in the January 6th hearings. Um, do you expect to lose on August 16th? No, I don't expect to lose. Uh, I'm working hard to earn every single vote. And uh, ultimately, I really I believe that the people of Wyoming 
um, you know, fundamentally understand how important uh, fidelity to the Constitution is. Uh, understand how important it is that you know we we fight for those fundamental principles on which everything else is based. I may not agree with any of her conservative politics, and she's old school that way, but she doesn't truck with any of the MAGA crap. She has taken a stand and done what few members in her party have done, put country over party, truth over power, and apparently she's still the apple of her father's eye. Lynn and I are so proud of Liz for standing up for the truth, doing what's right, honoring her oath to the Constitution, when so many in our party are too scared to do so. Liz is fearless. She never backs down from a fight. There is nothing more important she will ever do than lead the effort to make sure Donald Trump is never again near the Oval Office. And whether or not she wins her primary a few weeks from now, we have not heard the last from Liz Cheney, and you could fucking bet on that. The reality that we face today as Republicans, as we think about the choice in front of us, we have to choose because Republicans cannot both be loyal to Donald Trump and loyal to the Constitution. Oh, really? <laughs> like, well, who gave you the, you know, the authority to say that? Like 72 million, 74 million Americans voted for Trump. None, none of them count. And now for the main event. Today, we welcome back to our show Glenn Kirshner, a former federal prosecutor with 30 years of trial experience. Glenn brings analysis and insight to legal issues of the day, drawing from his experience as a federal prosecutor, a homicide prosecutor, and army jig. Glenn is an NBC News and MSNBC legal analyst and teaches criminal law at George Washington University. You can't turn on the television or check your Twitter account without catching Glenn's expert commentary delivered with his signature dry wit and Brooklyn ease. And catch his shows, Capital Crimes, with Glenn Kirshner and Justice Matter on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Glenn, witness tampering of the January 6th committee witnesses looks to be going unchecked and that the DOJ is apparently less concerned than the committee. Liz Cheney calls it like exactly like she sees it. But what the hell is going on with the DOJ these days? I heard you say that they should have done a recorded callback when Trump called his last victim. But are they doing anything? I mean, are they ever doing anything? And do you think maybe is justice ever going to be coming? Because look, Merrick Garland reacts to new evidence like Cassidy Hutchinson's revelations with complete shock. That's not really a good look. What are we doing? What's going on here? Wish I could explain it, Michael. Um, you know, we as prosecutors treat witness tampering not as smoking gun evidence, but as loaded gun evidence because it poses a clear and present danger to the integrity of ongoing investigations. You know, I, I prosecuted in the courts of Washington, D.C., both federal and local for decades. And unfortunately, we had a lot of witness tampering. So, you know, we dealt with it in real time. We investigated it at light speed at the earliest opportunity. And I'm, I'm talking about within 24 or 48 or 72 hours of us learning 
about the witness tampering, we were generally putting an affidavit in support of an arrest warrant together for the perpetrator, walking across the street to the judge's chambers, getting the judge to sign an arrest warrant. And then usually we don't like to make a big show of arrests, or at least we shouldn't. I'm not a big believer in the perp walk. And usually when we're investigating, we keep it under wraps because we don't want to compromise an ongoing investigation. But all bets are off when it comes to witness tampering. We want to make a big, splashy show of the fact that we promptly arrested somebody for tampering with a witness. One, to neutralize that threat. And two, to deter others on Team Trump in this instance that might be inclined to tamper with witnesses. So, Michael, I wish I had an answer to the question. Why has there been no overt law enforcement action by the FBI and the DOJ when we now have multiple instances of witness tampering? One, it looks like Mark Meadows was in the tampering chain for Cassidy Hutchinson. And let's not forget, Mark Meadows already committed the crime of contempt of Congress to cover up Donald Trump's crimes. As we sit here today, Mark Meadows is still covering up the crimes of Donald Trump, and he hasn't been held accountable for that. And now he's tampering with witnesses to boot. I wish I could explain why we haven't seen any overt law enforcement action. Well, it's the same reason. You know, I always go back to my specific matter. Nothing in Trump world is unique. Everything is a repeat of itself over and over again. Would it not be I remember everybody talking about it was witness tampering and obstruction of justice when Trump was tweeting about me the day before my House Oversight Committee hearing um, or when I had to go speak before the Mueller investigation or when Matt Gates decided the day before my House Oversight Committee that he was going to do it on behalf of Trump. You know, last night I was on uh, Don Lemon and I was talking to him about this exact thing. What is truly disturbing is that nothing ever gets done. We sit, we acknowledge that it's witness tampering, and yet nobody pushes the envelope forward. Nobody does anything, not Merrick Garland, not no prosecutor, nobody is doing anything to hold this man accountable for, again, witness tampering, obstruction of justice, not only the ones that he did in the past, like to myself, when even right after the raid that took place on me April 9th, on the 21st of that month, I received an email, and it wasn't the first email, from an attorney, Bob Costello, who happens to be a friend of Rudy Giuliani's as well as his current attorney in a couple of different matters. And one of the things that they do is they use the same language. You are loved, right? Um, you know, stay the course. You have friends in high places. Sleep well. These are all witness tampering, obstruction of justice words especially in context of the email. Yet nobody turns around and nobody holds them accountable. Why not? These are low-hanging fruit. I, I wish I had an answer to that question. You know, I spent decades inside the Department of Justice. I know how I would be running uh, a criminal investigation of Trump and his entire criminal cabal. Um, you know, I saw Andrew Weissman just published an opinion piece about how this looks like a hub-and-spoke conspiracy. So I re-upped my video from back in April, where I went into a deep dive, detailed analysis about why what Trump and company are doing is precisely a hub and spoke 
conspiracy. And it's not hard to prove. The only question is, why aren't they moving out and bringing charges? And, you know, look, lawlessness begets lawlessness unaddressed. I was on with Lawrence O'Donnell last night and I felt like I went dark when I opened with, you know, we are a nation adrift in unaddressed lawlessness. And this is what we get. We should expect more witness tampering. And if we don't take down Trump and company, we should expect a 2024 presidential campaign where the Republican nominee does everything Donald Trump has done and then some. And that person is going to be able to hold up the Department of Justice as his shadow running mate, saying everything Donald Trump did was legal, was fine, and it's been tacitly endorsed by the Department of Justice, because if it was criminal, they would have charged him and they right. haven't. Now, Michael, let me be clear. I still believe charges are going to come. I can't conceive of a Department of Justice that just gives our democracy away to the likes of Donald Trump and Bannon and Giuliani and Powell and Flynn and Eastman and Clark and Meadows and the rest of the criminal cabal. I can't conceive of that. If that's the way the Department of Justice wants to go, our democracy is at an end. But Glenn, it's a Democrat that's sitting in the White House. It's Joe Biden. It's Kamala Harris, a former prosecutor herself. You have Merrick Garland appointed by Joe Biden. We should not be allowing the former Justice Department, the former actions of Bill Barr, dictate what's happening today. This makes absolutely no sense at all. And this is why so many people, Democrats, are frustrated with Joe Biden. It's not necessarily about the economy. It's not about gas. It's about everything. They turn around and they say... This guy is fast asleep, and he's allowing those that he put into positions of power, like Merrick Garland, to remain asleep. It is now how many months post-Trump's exit from the White House? How many months is it since, you know, the induction of Merrick Garland as our attorney general? I had such high hopes for this guy. Now, I don't want him to be like, like um, uh, Bill Barr. I don't want to see him corrupting the Justice Department to watch to happen to somebody else what happened to me. That's not what I want to see. I just want to see those that are responsible for certain actions, including like the attempted overthrow of our government, witness tampering, obstruction of justice, all of that, usage of the IRS in order to go after your enemies. This this person, these people must be held accountable. And if Merrick Garland doesn't have the balls to do it, as I say on the show all the time, come on, man, get the fuck out and let somebody young and aggressive and someone who is willing to take on the system. They don't want to take on the system. Yeah. And right now there is a deep injustice at work. And I, I think we saw it in the testimony of Stephen Ayers at the last uh, J6 public hearing. He's one of the guys who listened to Trump. He was duped. He was deceived and he was lied to. He believed his uh, vote was stolen from him. He believed the election was stolen. So he followed Donald Trump's commands, came to D.C. on January 6th, marched on the Capitol as he was instructed to do and committed some crimes at the Capitol, apparently did not assault anybody, but committed crimes nonetheless. He has been indicted. He's been convicted. He's been punished. And what we see, Michael, hundreds 
and hundreds and hundreds of people in Stephen Ayers' position. I'm not crying for Stephen Ayers. He made his bed. Um, but all of these people were lied to, deceived, and duped into doing what they did on January 6th, and they're being punished for it in the courts of Washington, D.C. every day. And the person who set the date for the attack, orchestrated it, and then ordered an armed attack on the Capitol, as we now know from Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony, he was briefed that his mob was armed, some of them with rifles, pistols, and other deadly weapons. He said, take the effing metal detectors down, let them in. They're not here to hurt me. In other words, they're here to hurt the folks up the street who are certifying the win of my political opponent, and then we will all march on the Capitol. He led or wanted to lead an armed attack on the Capitol. He gave the order. You know, as Harry Dunn said, a hitman sent them there. And where is Donald Trump as his foot soldiers are now paying the price? He's golfing. He's giving rallies where he continues to push the big lie and urges people to act based on that big lie. And, you know, he he is footloose and fancy free. That is a deep, intolerable injustice that's being perpetrated right now by the Department of Justice. And they better make it right by stepping up and beginning to hold the hierarchy of the insurrection accountable. They're just It's always the small guy that gets thrown under the bus, right? And one of the big problems that we have, too, and I talk about it a lot, um, not just in this um, program on Mea Culpa, but on television and in a book that I have that's going to be coming out called The Department of Injustice, misinformation, disinformation, and then the newest term, malinformation. There was an article in um, Rolling Stones that recently came out by Nikki um, Ramirez, and it's entitled, Newsmax host blames Trump's ass for alleged witness tampering call. And this, of course, uh, is Newsmax host, you know, Greg Kelly. Now, I happen to know Greg, and I remember when Greg was with Rosanna on Fox News, and, you know, we did some charity walks together and stuff like that. What happened to Greg Kelly? Well, you know, he had that whole sexual, um, you know, Me Too scenario where he got booted from Fox. So where does this motherfucker end up? At Newsmax. And at Newsmax, what does he do? Well, he needs the paycheck. That's for sure. You know, son of Ray Kelly, you know, former, um, you know, New York uh, commissioner, police commissioner. What does he do? He comes up with some bullshit cockamamie story that Donald Trump may have actually butt dialed, right, when he was playing golf. He sat on his phone, and somehow or another, it ended up dialing this witness that's going to be up the very next day. And, you know, one of the things that he said during his uh, his broadcast um, was that, this is great, you actually can't tell it's him calling. How do you know the president actually called? They didn't answer. Hey, maybe it was a butt dial. Tell the Justice Department that. Do you see just how screwed up that this is where you have people who are defending it, giving Trump ideas on things to say, which is exactly what Trump and his cohorts would do you know, to you. They would tell you what they want you to say without actually saying it. So Greg Kelly is now trying to follow the Donald Trump playbook, and he's trying to give Donald some ideas that if, in fact, it comes up, just say it was a butt doll. First of all, why does he have this low-level staffer's phone number in his phone, which, by the way, I know 
numbers that he has in there. Um, you know, why would he have this guy or this girl's phone number uh, in his phone? And by coincidence, the person who's supposed to be testifying up next, all of a sudden, is the person that he accidentally butt dials. In order to butt dial someone, that means you actually had to have called them, right? Or somehow it goes into your contacts, and out of the 17,000 contacts the guy probably has in his phone, it happened to pick this one. What's the odds? Yeah, that, that's a bunch of nonsense. And what it highlights is the need for an immediate law enforcement investigation to get to the bottom of it. Now, what I would have done, and I've done this many times, in witness tampering scenarios, the minute you get an attempted contact like this, you bring the witness in and you do a recorded callback. You script it, you sit there with the witness, you monitor it in real time. If necessary, you suggest avenues of conversation. But I'll tell you, 90% of the time, what we would instruct the witness is just listen, just let mm -hmm. this person say whatever they're gonna say. And if law enforcement did that, with this witness, they called back Donald Trump. How reckless do you think he would have been on that phone call? Might he have asked the witness to lie for him 11,780 times? I mean, we've heard, you know better than anybody, we've heard Donald Trump's recklessness and indeed criminality on recorded phone calls. A callback, a recorded callback of a witness who has been tampered with is evidentiary gold. Why those kind of things are not happening, again, is beyond me. The one place when you talk about this disinformation being put out by Newsmax and Fox Entertainment and the other uh, the other propaganda networks, you know, I'm usually a pretty optimistic person, but I don't know how we put the disinformation and propaganda genie back in the bottle. The way mm -hmm. it has flooded the zone, the way our enemies like Russia are very good at it, um, and, and unfortunately, Michael. Our, our federal government seems to have given up trying to regulate in any common sense way the content of what goes out over our airwaves or over the Internet. I have been yelling for a very long time that, you know, there, there's a three part approach to, to grabbing this monster by the throat. You regulate, you use every flippant agency of government and you pass defensible common sense regulations designed to get at propaganda that is put out that is likely to inspire imminent violence. You regulate, you legislate along those same lines, and then you litigate. You let the challenges come to the regulations you pass and the legislation you enact, and you go into court and defend it. You know what? That's what Donald Trump did. What was one of the first executive orders he issued? that hateful Muslim ban, banning human beings because of the religion they choose to practice, right? So mm -hmm. what happened? The first Muslim ban got struck down. So he didn't just take the defeat and give up. He retooled, they tweaked the executive order, and they got a somewhat watered down but still hateful ban put in place. Why can't Joe Biden be flooding the zone with good? Why can't he be replicating what Trump did, but doing it for good? Regulate, including executive orders, legislate, and then litigate the bejesus out of this stuff, defending the fact that you're trying to do good for the American people. We don't seem to be doing that. No, we don't. So let me ask you this then. Chris Ray and the FBI, I mean, 
Where were they in their investigation of the January 6th insurrection? I mean, do you have any clue? Are you hearing anything? Because I know that they've been picking up, you know, the actual rioters. Mostly, as you stated before, these low-level men and women on the totem pole, right, who showed up there because many of them will turn around and tell you Donald Trump told them to go there. But are they coordinating their efforts with the DOJ? Because sometimes to me, it seems as if though all of the government agencies refuse to work with the other. And then lots of people are taking issue right now with, with Ray, with Chris Ray. What's your thinking? I mean, how is he running the bureau? I don't know, but I have lost considerable confidence ever since he headed up an effort that involved soliciting citizen tips about Brett Kavanaugh, receiving 4,500 citizen tips about Brett Kavanaugh's unsuitability to be a Supreme Court justice, and then taking them and handing them over to the very person who had every incentive to bury that information. Mm -hmm. It went uninvestigated. I understand the difference between a background investigation and a request by the agency uh, the White House. I get all that. But I think you abdicate your responsibility to the American people when you as the FBI say, citizens, please provide us your tips. Put yourself out there. Put your neck on the line. Tell us what you know about Brett Kavanaugh. The citizens have a right to those tips being professionally vetted and investigated and acted on if appropriate. And the FBI let the citizens down. And now we see where we are. The FBI let the country down in that regard because we have a compromised theocratic Supreme Court that is in the process of revoking our constitutional rights. Ever since that played out the way it did, the 4,500, not just uninvestigated tips, tips handed over to the very person who wanted to bury them, Donald Trump right. and his White House counsel, I have lost considerable confidence. Um, but, you know, Joe Biden is sticking with, you know, the, the horse that he rode in on with respect to any number of high government officials that he could otherwise replace. And I hope, you know, I don't I hope we don't live to regret that. Well, we are, because right now, Joe Biden's popularity is at an all time low. I mean, he's his popularity is even lower than Donald Trump's at the same time. I mean, that's pretty fucking low for a guy who I think has done a relatively decent job in terms of the things that he's actually acted on. COVID, you know, people forget that one of the reasons that he was so successful in winning was most people believe that he would handle COVID better than Trump. Okay, and he did. Most people believe that he would handle, um, you know, other matters, right? Better, you know, better than, you know, better than Trump did. He was slightly lower than in handling the economy, but in handling Russia, in handling, um, you know, Afghanistan, they all believe that he would handle it better than Trump. And so he ends up winning. His people are, I hate to say it, as ineffective as the way he's handling government right now. What he's touching and what he's doing, he's doing well. 
You really can't, you really can't attack him on the number of people who had, you know, COVID shots put into their arms. Under Trump, we'd probably still be in the middle of a pandemic right now. But his people, like Christopher Wray, what are they doing? Okay, let's take a look at just a quick statistic. 840 people plus have been arrested for storming the U.S. Capitol. Of those 840 plus people, 185 of them have received some form of a criminal sentence. And as we said, these are the lowest level offenders. These are the ones that stormed the Capitol and they deserve whatever it is that they got. Um, but what about Mark Meadows? What about Don, Ivanka, Jared, Eric, Laura Trump? What about the slew of them? What about Josh Hawley? What about Jim Jordan? What about all of these inner circle sycophantic acolytes that we have tens and tens of thousands of documents, communications, Mark Meadows with Katrina Pearson. We have tens of thousands of these types of documents in furtherance of this insurrection showing that there were things going on. The hundred, uh, the three hours worth of disappear time by Trump and the communications going back and forth. How come not one of these people have been held accountable? Not only are they not being held accountable yet, we can't even get them to testify because they turn around and when they receive a subpoena, they wipe their ass with it and throw it in the garbage. Fuck you, I'm not showing up. Really? That's okay yeah, it, for a sitting member, a sitting member of Congress? Yeah, the the fact that we have members of Congress who are insurrectionists running for re-election and the Department of Justice doesn't seem to appreciate the urgency of dealing with that because they could charge them if the evidence supported criminal charges. And if they charge, there are criminal charges where part of the uh, punishment, the available punishment, is banning them from holding office in the future. But the Department of Justice seems um, comfortable, content, letting these insurrectionists run for re-election. If they get re-elected, they will become more firmly entrenched inside government and will continue to try to kill our democracy from within. So we have citizen groups, Michael. We have nonprofit organizations like Free Speech for People who are going into court every day and they're filing suit to disqualify insurrectionists from, from serving again in Congress under the 14th Amendment. And they haven't, they haven't won any of those challenges yet, but they're in court fighting every day. This is not the kind of fight that should be left to the citizens. This is the kind of fight that sh should be undertaken by our federal law enforcement agency, the FBI and the Department of Justice. Why they're not doing it, again, I, I have to hope there's a master plan and there is the world's biggest conspiracy indictment that will drop sometime in the coming months. It has to, because if it doesn't, as I say, we're done. But the Department of Justice doesn't seem able to meet the urgency of the moment, to protect the public, to protect our democracy. And that to me is inexplicable. I wish people ask all the time, why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? I wish I had an acceptable answer, but I don't. Right, but we don't have time. You see, that's, they've already been at this 
long enough, right? I mean, this isn't, it happened yesterday. This has been ongoing, these investigations. They have now, they have now spoken to over a thousand witnesses. They have like a million pages of documents. If after a thousand people, you need, you know, um, Cassidy Hutchinson, or you need heirs, or you need anybody else, that's a real serious problem. You know, as a prosecutor, if, if you don't have your information early on, what do you think you're going to find it? This is like some Matlock moment or Ironside moment. You know, this is bullshit. I mean, they have all the information that they need to start. Again, why he's doing it, I have, why he's doing nothing, I have absolutely no idea. And if we don't move it, what's going to happen in November? What's going to happen when potentially Republicans take, you know, take the House? What do you think happens to this investigation? It's over. And it and yeah, the document that they'll end up putting out the January. Yeah, not only is it over, but re remember what Newt Gingrich promised. Now, I, look, I, I credit Newt Gingrich exactly as far as I could throw him. But he said, listen, when the Republicans take control of the House after the midterms, members of the J6 committee will be locked up. And you can mm -hmm. see how they could orchestrate that. What will they do? They'll serve all kinds of subpoenas on members of the J6 committee, and then they will find uh, an excuse to say, oh, they violated the subpoena, so we're going to exercise our inherent power of congressional contempt, and we're going to lock them up, which, by the way, the Supreme Court has said is lawful and constitutional. They haven't said it since the 1920s and the 1930s because we haven't done it since the 1920s and the 1930s, and this Congress for reasons that I think are ill-advised, they've decided not to exercise their inherent power of contempt to compel the testimony of a Mark Meadows or anybody else who defied their subpoenas. Dan Scavino but, and any of yeah, these others. But yep. you don't think a Republican-controlled House will start locking people up using their inherent power of contempt? Yeah, how about, it's 100% guarantee, all right? So look, it's looking like Trump is ready to spring it. And again, I, I don't believe he's going to run, but he's putting it out there that he's ready to spring the announcement of his presidential run for 2024 on all of us. Now, in part, I imagine, you know, so that he could potentially avoid prosecution. I'm not so sure that's really a legitimate response. But, you know, we'll, we'll look a whole lot of like a banana republic if, you know, if we arrest or even indict, you know, the front runner of the opposing party of the current administration, right? It's going to seem, you know, something foreign, something third world for sure. Um, or should that not even be a concern at this time? Is, is there any precedence for anything like this in the United States that you know of? Because personally, I can't find anything like it. And further, how does a guy like Trump get a fair trial in the United States. That's something that he bitches about on Fox News and Newsmax and OAN or anyone that'll listen to his horse shit. What does something like that look like? Yeah, so first of all, let me start with the Banana Republic part and then go to the, the fair trial part because I've picked a lot of juries in 30 years, some in high profile cases, obviously nothing as high profile as a trial against Donald Trump would be. But, you know, I've picked lots of juries. Um, so on the banana republic front, you know, we do not become a banana republic by prosecuting criminal politicians. We become a banana republic by refusing to prosecute criminal politicians, full stop. And the fact that 
he if he announces, I kind of tend to agree he will tease this endlessly to grift as much money as he can. Mm -hmm. If it looks like an indictment is coming down, he will announce even if he has no actual intent to run just to make the argument that you've made. It, it looks more political if he's announced to run for the presidency. But there is no law. There is no precedent. And fortunately, in this instance, there is no Office of Legal Counsel memo, no OLC memo that says you can't prosecute a candidate for president, only a sitting criminal president, which is a horrific policy that I hope somebody will throw in the trash can someday, because saying that you are putting a criminal president above the law beyond prosecution is one giant step toward announcing you're a banana republic. Um, but with respect to uh, impaneling a fair and impartial jury, first of all, I use the Manafort trial as an example. You had a woman on the jury who was a self-described MAGA devotee, and she gave an interview mm -hmm. after the trial was over. She said, I wore my Make America Great Again hat to the courtroom every day. I left it in my car. I went, did my jury duty. I got back in my car, put my hat on and drove home. I love Donald Trump. I didn't want Paul Manafort to be guilty of anything because by extension, I, I supported him. But the evidence proved his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And I took an oath to decide the case mm -hmm. based only on the evidence, not on my preconceived notions, my ideology or anything I might have known about the case before I swore that oath to serve as a fair and impartial juror. And the evidence proved his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. I was obliged to vote guilty. She wasn't happy about it. That has been my experience in picking juries for 30 years. I think I was in courtrooms as a prosecutor, both military and civilian, both federal and state, longer than most. And my experience was that, first of all, you can sniff out bad jurors during voir dire, during your individual questioning of jurors. You can tell if somebody is nefariously trying to creep on your jury with an agenda. And not only can you tell it because you sit there and eyeball them and question them, but now we have the Internet available. And I have to believe in high profile trials, you will have both parties, prosecution and defense, doing an instant deep dive to to see what that person's life looks like online because that can tell you a lot about a pe person when they're posting stuff with relative you know anonymity or no real responsibility i think we can and i think we will seat a fair and impartial jury to try donald trump for his crimes i happen to believe a jury will convict donald trump hands down with the evidence of criminality that has been amassed, both his criminal intent and his criminal acts. I mean, it is a mountain of evidence unlike anything I ever had in my 30 years as a prosecutor. Um, but worst case then scenario- Glenn, Then Glenn, why didn't, then Glenn, why didn't Alvin Bragg do what was what, right in front of his nose, what someone like a Mark Pomerantz or a Carrie Dunn had you can't get him on, like the way with Al Capone, they couldn't get him on murder, racketeering, extortion. With Trump, there's so, there's no fingerprints because that's how he operates, right? No emails, no texts, no handwritten notes. Why don't you just get him on the low-hanging fruit? Get him on taxes, which everybody knows he's guilty of, including Alvin Bragg, including all the documents that they have inside that office 
and I know that they have them because many I gave to them and many I've been involved in review. Yeah, so I, I will side with Pomerantz and Dunn. I, I, based on what I saw, I share their estimation that the evidence was likely overwhelming and certainly sufficient to both indict and convict him. Why Alvin Bragg made that decision, it, it is either a product of, of gross incompetence, horrific timidity in fear of not winning a conviction, mm -hmm or corruption. I can't say which or if it's a combination of those three. What we know is that it wasn't a decision based on the facts or the law. That we know. But Michael, you know better than anybody. Wouldn't we almost be surprised if anybody ever indicted Trump for anything, given the life of crime he has led with impunity? I mean, I don't understand it either. And, you know, I hope his run comes to an end, either in Georgia or DOJ or elsewhere. But, you know, it, there's no explaining how he's gotten away with so much for so long. Yeah, listen, nobody can explain it. Even I can't explain it. It doesn't make any sense. Now, I have a little follow up to the last question, because there's polling out right now this week that says we as a country are as close to a civil war at this moment right now, as we were in 1861. You think that arresting Trump, his family, close allies, and so on, could just be the match that lights the powder keg? You think maybe this could also be something that's sitting on somebody's mind? So two responses. One, I actually don't think so. Because you know what? Trump's supporters are big and brave when they're walking around with, you know, assault rifles strapped across their bellies. Um, but I don't think they are strong people. And I actually don't think they will be willing to fight en masse for Trump. I think they will go home and, and cower. That's what I believe. But more importantly than that, if holding a criminal former president accountable inspires violence, so be it. Because the last thing we can afford as a nation is to forego prosecuting criminal high government officials for fear of the reaction of the wrong people, the reaction it might inspire. Because if that is what we use to base our prosecutorial decisions on, then we are no longer a democracy. We're you know, we're a banana republic slash aspiring autocracy dictatorship. So I don't I don't care what kind of reaction it inspires. What I care about is doing the right thing and letting the chips fall. Yeah, so I agree with you entirely. And I also don't believe, like so many others, that as a result of indicting, incarcerating, whether it's Trump, his family, the inner circle, et cetera, would cause you know these folks to go out there and start you know uh, a, a, another civil war or so on. I believe that as a result of people like Ayers and the Oath Keepers and Rhodes and so on who are now incarcerated, that they have had their entire lives upturned with no assistance from Trump which is something that he said he was going to help with. He raised $250 million under that guise. They are all seeing exactly what happened to these 185 
people who have already been charged and have had sentences put on them, forgetting about the other 700 or so. And so, so I don't believe. Now, you may get a couple of maniacs that decide that they want to start doing something, but I believe that our military, our law enforcement, and, you know, and our DOJ can put an end to that bullshit relatively quickly and with serious ease. That's, I totally agree with you. And I think people who turn around and say, you know, we cannot prosecute him for fear of what could happen in America. That's exactly why you do prosecute him. It's obviously it's flawed. It's flawed thinking. Glenn, let me ask you this then. In your opinion, What's going to happen to Lindsey Graham and the rest of these Trump cronies who've been subpoenaed in Fulton County, Georgia? Is this the case that might finally produce an indictment for Trump? Yeah, I think Fonnie Willis is a particularly strong prosecutor. Uh, I think she's determined to do the right thing. And based on even the phone call to Brad Raffensperger alone, the right thing can only be to charge Donald Trump with solicitation of election fraud under Georgia state law, and as many as 11 other crimes that were meticulously detailed by a deep dive piece by the Brookings Institution. Um, Lindsey Graham, this is just kind of delicious because he yells and screams about how I'm only a witness. I'm only a witness. And then when he's subpoenaed as a witness, he was even told you're not a subject. You're not a target. You're just a witness. He loses his mind and fights tooth and nail to not testify as a witness. And he throws a bunch of buzz phrases in the mix, you know, separation of powers, supremacy clause. It's all a bunch of nonsense. Here's the example I would use. And it's not that far off. If Lindsey Graham was down in Atlanta on Peachtree Street and he saw Donald Trump shoot somebody, not on Fifth Avenue, but on Peachtree Street in Atlanta, he could be served with a Georgia state subpoena and he could be called to testify about Donald Trump's crime. This is no different. He has information about Donald Trump's election crimes. He can be subpoenaed to a Georgia state grand jury to testify about it. There is no privilege. There is no separation of powers issue. There is no supremacy clause prohibition from from doing that. Here's what I think is happening. What did Brad Raffensperger say about the call two calls? he had with Lindsey Graham. I can almost quote what Raffensperger said. He said, it felt to me like Lindsey Graham was urging or encouraging that I should toss out lawfully cast ballots. You know what that sounds like to me, Michael? Lindsey Graham has got a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination because the other person on that call interpreted what he was saying as soliciting election fraud. You think maybe that's why Lindsay is so desperate to avoid being put under oath because he doesn't want to have to plead the fifth? Not a good look for a sitting United States senator to invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Totally agree with you. Let me just take a little bit of of a different approach here for a quick second. We know about this um, phone call for quite some time now. And as part of this criminal probe, which has been going on now with Lindsey Graham since February, February 13th of 2021, they started to investigate, you know, uh, Lindsey Graham uh, and the conversation with Brad Raffensperger. 
What are we doing? Was it six months, seven months already? Where, 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 are we, where are we at? Not a subpoena. Oh, okay, we're going to finally subpoena him. He's not going to show up. And so on. let him take the fifth. I don't care. But let him show up and do it. He's entitled constitutionally to take the fifth, right? But he does, he's not permitted to just ignore subpoenas. None of them are, and none of them should. And none of them, especially if, in fact, that you're a sitting member of Congress. Period. End of story. Everything is taking too long. As far as I'm concerned, if you were in charge, you, Glenn Kirshner, were in charge, and they defied your subpoena, you would, have, you would be moving right now to have them incarcerated until they comply. And they could end up staying in jail for, what is it, up to approximately a year? And so, no problem. Stay there for the year. Take the fifth. Knock yourself out. You'll end up losing a ton of weight like I did because the food sucks. Perfect. No problem. Make an example. Now you're not running for, you can't run for office or, you, you know, you're not running for office because at this point you lost your seat because you can't keep your seat while you're incarcerated. Everything is taking too long. And I believe that people are losing confidence in the Justice Department. Yes. I certainly have. I found, look, my case was started and ended in 48 hours, right? They put the full ass squeeze on me including with the IRS and so on, which, you know, I have to be honest with you, thanks to Congressman Steve Cohen, who just made a request to the inspector general to also look into the IRS's handling of my case and how it was used, because everybody is now seeing through the smoke of what happened, which is that Trump ordered all of this. He weaponized government. This is a real problem as you stated, between Lindsey Graham and the conversation with Brad Raffensperger. And this is low-hanging fruit, which I like to keep referring to. Somebody of significance, other than that idiot shaman with the stupid shit on top of his head, right, or, or Rhodes or any of these other folks, somebody of significance who's really in power and behind this entire thing, somebody should be held accountable. But, you know, like I said, Unless Joe Biden is going to step up, have a meeting with these folks, whether it's Chris Ray, whether it's Merrick Garland, whether it's going to be, um, you know, even uh, Fannie, you know, Fannie Willis, have invite, you know, invite to the um, to the White House, have a conversation. Let's go. Let's move on this. Let's hold those accountable, accountable, and let's get this process started. That's my request, and I think he'd be absolutely within his rights to do so. Now, talk about another guy here, another asshole, Steve Bannon. Now, Steve Bannon is running out of rope, and he's due in court soon. How long have we now waited for Steve Bannon to be required to finally speak? Now, he's got a big mouth that everybody knows, right? That leaked audio of him talking about Trump's strategy to call the election for himself, even if he lost, to me, sounds pretty fairly damning, right? I'm pretty sure you agree. Trump, one thing for certain, Trump doesn't like leaked audio. That, that I know for a fact. But is Bannon finally going to go to jail for contempt of Congress? You think they're finally going to pull the trigger? And at this point, isn't he and the other clowns like Stone and Flynn, aren't they at this point in time liabilities to Trump? Yeah, you would, you would think people would start flipping because that's the easiest way to avoid lengthy prison terms is if you start 
flipping on the bigger fish and trying. Can we just not? Can we just not use the word flipping because it's not? It's really cooperating. Cooperating, which is what they are legally obligated and morally obligated to do. Yeah, I, I don't think Bannon understands the term moral obligation. I think that one is, is lost on him. So yeah, I'll be in the courtroom next week when Bannon tri- Bannon's trial kicks off. I'm covering it for MSNBC. Uh, given the evidence, you know, he he should certainly be convicted of the two counts of contempt of Congress that he's been indicted for, one for failing to testify, the other for failing to produce documents. You know, these are misdemeanors. Let's not forget, you know, he ain't going to jail for 20 years. They're misdemeanors. They carry a one-year maximum and a 30-day minimum. So he will be going to jail or to prison for at least a couple of months would be my guess, assuming he's convicted. And the evidence certainly supports that he should be convicted. My my real concern right now, and I hate to go dark on this, is I am surprised that the prosecutors did not supersede, did not bring a subsequent indictment adding additional charges to Bannon for seditious conspiracy, for a conspiracy to defraud the United States, a 371 conspiracy, and any number of other crimes. I think it's a really ominous sign that prosecutors have decided to go to trial against Steve Bannon in a piddly little, not to downplay the significance of contempt of Congress, but a relatively minor misdemeanor case. That's not the way federal prosecutors operate. We supersede and supersede and supersede. We add charges, we add defendants. We build the biggest case we can before we go to trial because it gives the jury the the benefit of context all of the criminal activity a person was involved in, and it makes it more likely that jurors will get the complete picture and hold the person accountable. Now, all he's going to have to defend against is whether he, you know, criminally um, evaded that subpoena. And he's already had most of the defenses that he wants to offer rejected by the judge. That was a good thing because they were all BS defenses. Um, but I really think it's a bad sign that the prosecutors have opted to go to trial against him in this standalone contempt case. So please tell me why. why? I don't know. It is so obvious. I mean, you know, I speak to some prosecutors and you know, they are so pro DOJ and pro the office, many of whom they, you know, or former employees there. There's something bigger coming. There's something bigger coming. What could be bigger than doing this right now? It doesn't make any sense. It makes as little sense to me as Alvin Bragg dropping this shit. And in order, which is what, of course, everybody did when I was the guy in the hot seat. Oh, Michael Cohen's not a credible witness. Not a credible witness. We can't, you know, we can't rely upon his testimony. I'll tell you what. How about don't ask me to come in and testify? How about just use the documentary evidence that I provided from his personal financial statements to some of the other documents that they have? Why don't you just use the documentary evidence and let somebody else testify? Bring in the former accountant. Bring in an accountant. Bring in anybody that you want since I'm the bad guy. I did. I lied. I lied and said that I only spoke to Trump three times about a failed real estate project in Moscow when, in fact, I lied ten times. You're right. That should stop me from helping to protect democracy. Serious Alvin, right? Really, get a fucking life. Wake up. And the funny thing is this guy ran. He ran on the... the, 
uh, for the position based upon the fact that he would hold even somebody like Donald Trump. He doesn't care about power. He will hold anybody responsible for breaking the law. He's no different than the Supreme Court justices who lied to the American people in order to obtain their seat. The only difference is Alvin Bragg can be voted out and they can't. We're in a very dangerous place, my friend. And I'm going to go one step further here and make a statement. QAnon, right? It's like another planet as far as I'm concerned. I don't even know these. I don't even know where these people live or what they do or what they even look like. They're just weird. But a whole lot of Q candidates seem to be running for office and some of them have actually won their primaries. Do you know who these people are, um, you know, in the intelligence community? Are they at all concerned that we're perhaps going to be governed by these conspiracy-driven white supremacists who seemingly have no relationship to reality? No, you know, we're, we're being attacked on all fronts. Our democracy is being attacked on all fronts. It is unqualified candidates running for office like the QAnon crazies. It's the state legislatures trying to put all sorts of legislation in, in place to nullify votes and to let Republican politicians announce whoever they want to announce as the winner of their state election, completely separate and apart from the popular vote count, right? We're under attack from our own Supreme Court, revoking our constitutional rights, and they've already signaled they're going to revoke more. We're under attack from the Republican Party and by Donald Trump, you know, out there continuing to push the big lie and anger and enrage people. We're under attack. We're under attack on all fronts. There's no doubt about it. And the problem is I don't see us fighting back as hard as we need to fight back if we're going to try to save our democracy. I think the most important first step is to start indicting all of the criminal politicians. That's the only way to deter the next batch of nefarious politicians from coming in and doing it all over again. And then we have to, you know, saw the wood in front of us. We have to attack each one of these things. The Supreme Court, if we just decide that we're going to let all those Supreme Court justices um, get away with deceiving the Senate and the American people in their confirmation hearing testimony, I didn't use the word lie. They clearly deceived the Senate and the American people Every word they said, every body gesture they made was designed to convey Roe v. Wade, settled precedent. It's been affirmed several times over mm -hmm. entitled to respect. Nothing, nothing yep. to worry about from me. In the back of their minds, Michael, they all knew because they signed on to the opinion that they were going to walk Roe versus Wade deep into the woods and kill it dead at the earliest opportunity. That puts the lie, the deception to their confirmation hearing testimony. If we're just willing to accept that now, then we're giving away additional constitutional rights because they're about to revoke them. Why are we sitting back? Why are we not opening impeachment inquiries so we can investigate those lies and that deception. People will say, well, that doesn't guarantee that House uh, that um, articles of impeachment will be drafted up in the House just because you open an inquiry. No, it doesn't. But without opening an inquiry, we're giving away our constitutional rights. So why we see, you know, Stephen Van Zandt always says, where are the tough good guys? Where are the tough good guys in government willing to fight as hard 
as the bad guys in government. I, I don't know. They seem to be in. And when I say guys, I mean gals, too, because frankly, you know, they are the fairer sex. And if we could just turn our dang government over to women for a couple of generations, we'd be in a heck of a better spot. But where uh, are the tough a, guys to that tough one. gals? Amen. Amen to that one. There, it's. I, I wish that would happen. It's, you know, I wonder. Since you're talking about the Supreme Court, I want to ask you this because I saw that you tweeted about how the Supreme Court has stomped and you know on the separation of church and state. I mean, so much for right originalism. But I heard that certain justices are only interested in outcome and that they're happy to spin the law or the Constitution, for that matter, to manipulate the results that they want. Now, that's not new, but we expect better. At least I do. We expect better from our highest court. With the current configuration of the court, can we ever expect to see fair and just outcomes any longer? And further, Right, the Constitution is 234 years old. Do you think that it needs an update? And I talk about the update simply based upon the Second Amendment. Right? Nobody ever expected AR-15s or these weapons of war, these military machine guns, should be in the hands of civilians. Don't you think that we need an update to the Constitution? Yeah, I, I think we do. I think it's very difficult to do, but I think we should pursue it. But to answer your first question, can we expect fair, equitable, reasonable outcomes from the Supreme Court in the future? In a word, no. And there are two remedies. One is to get a supermajority in Congress and do things like codify the rights of women to choose, a la Roe v. Wade, and we can also pass legislation increasing the number of justices on the Supreme yes. Court over our yes. nation's history. We have had as few as five. We have had as many as 10. Nine is not a freaking magic number. And we have increased tri federal trial court judges. We have increased federal appellate court judges to keep up with the population and the increasing caseload. We need to increase the number of Supreme Court justices to at least 13 to cover the 13 federal jurisdictions that each justice is supposed to have some supervisory authority over. There is every reason in the world to increase Supreme Court justices also to level the ideological playing field because Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump crammed unqualified dispositionally, ideologically unqualified judges down America's throats. And we've let them do it. We let them do it. And it started with Barack Obama when, when Mitch McConnell said, I am violating the Constitution. I will not give him the Senate's advice and consent. And I will stop you from putting anybody on the Supreme Court all President Obama had to do, I'm not criticizing, but this is what I would have done because I'm a gutter kid from Jersey and I don't care how you come at me. I would have said, Merrick Garland, take your seat on the Supreme Court because Mitch McConnell has waived the Senate's right to provide advice and consent. You know what would have happened? Mitch McConnell would have set a darn confirmation hearing. It would have been a whole different ballgame but you can't appease the monster. You have to fight the monster.
And that's the problem with the Democratic Party. It's what I keep saying to Jamie Harrison as the head of the DNC. You don't know how to fight Trump. Unfortunately, what's happening is Trump is creating a whole slew of Trump 2.0s, people who now have a playbook on how to take over this country, how to be an authoritarian, how to run the government the way that you want that is completely violative and opposite of all of the norms that we've enjoyed over the last, you know, 240 plus years. I mean, it's it's beyond stupid and it's an absolute shame. But you know, Glenn, hour goes by quickly. I have one last question for you. The GOP just blocked a bill protecting a woman's right to travel for reproductive health care from states that have bans. Now, that's a pretty slippery slope. First, the court takes away a woman's body autonomy and now the right to travel. Women are basically being reduced, as far as I see it, to second-class citizens. What, if anything, can women do, other than voting, to protect their equal rights or rights in general? Do you ever think that we're going to see a time when women would be held hostage in America? And I hate to say it, similar to that of The Handmaid's Tale? You know, I, I didn't think we would see this. A lot of people said they saw it coming with the Supreme Court justices that Trump and McConnell continued to put on the bench. And, you know, we could have fought harder and should have fought harder. And we should do something about it now by opening impeachment inquiries and seeing where they lead. Because if you don't have some transparency in how they got there in the first place, you're never going to be able to to remedy this problem moving forward. Um, You know, voting, I think, is probably the last best hope to restore women's constitutional privacy rights. You know, people are determined that the Republicans are going to take over at the midterms. I am not in that camp. I think, you know, if this doesn't drive women to the polls in record numbers, but I wish it would also drive men to the polls in record numbers. One, because we should give a damn about the rights of half the American people just having been revoked, the constitutional privacy rights of women being revoked. A handful of justices just made the decision that they get to say a a woman must carry a pregnancy to term without her consent and against her will. Not in America. Not I don't think we we can't let this stand. I don't know how we're going to defeat it, but we can't let this stand. But you know what they're also doing? I'm not going to boohoo for the men, Michael, but they're also forcing men to become fathers against their will once those babies are carried to term. And we all know some of those men are not going to want to take on the responsibility of fatherhood, but some of them are going to be ordered by courts to take on at least financial responsibility. So, I mean, this impacts everybody, women, obviously, most directly and horrifically. But if this doesn't drive people to the polls to say it's time for a supermajority in the House and the Senate so we can accomplish things, we can codify Roe, we can pass common sense gun reform. We can pass common sense voter protection laws. I mean, there's so much that could actually be accomplished that I think voting is our last best shot. And I keep saying to people, please understand, this is just the beginning. When you start to see some of the comments that come out of Clarence Thomas's um, opinions, his mouth, uh, Alito, uh, Kavanaugh, Coney Barrett, you know, um, Gorsuch, and you start to say to yourself, holy shit, right? The America that we have lived in 
is not going to be the America that we are passing on to the next generation or future generations to come. Next up in the big fight, right, um, Obergefell is going to be um, overturned as well. And then everyone's going to say, man, I should have fucking done something. I just sat on my, I sat on my hands. I sat on my ass. You know, these, these one, two, three day rallies where they fuck up the streets, you know, and they just shut shit down. That's not what we need to do. What we all need to do is, and again, I tried to use mea culpa to do this. We all need to be on the same page. We need to be in unison, especially as we have November coming up, which of course is why Republicans have now chosen to figure out a way how to reduce your vote to zero, right? By saying that our electors have the right to pick and choose the candidate that we see fit, right? Not who the people want. We're in very, very bad place right now. We're going to start seeing all sorts of rights that, you know, we have come to know and to respect, um, basically just drop down the sewer. So look, um, Glenn, let me just thank you for joining me. Um, keep the fight, my friend, you know, let's just stay in touch. Let's get all of us together. Justice matters, democracy now, you know, my mea culpa, Midas touch, you know, um, law and democracy, all, all of, all of us, we all have to get together and we're going to really have to take on this Republican beast. Otherwise, I think we're doomed. I agree. I agree. Thank you, my friend. Looking forward to seeing you very, very soon. All right, Michael. Good being with you. Be, be welcome. Thank you. And now for today's mea culpa. Remember when it seemed like the whole world was about to open up? Maybe not if you're a kid who grew up during the Trump era. But once upon a time, we elected a black man as president and the world cheered. Before that, Russia and East Germany dropped the confines of communism and tore down a wall. It seemed like maybe the world was evolving. That we dumb humans had figured out a way to actually enjoy one another's differences. And we looked forward to traveling to foreign lands, even Texas, to meet the locals, eat the food, check out the sights. And then we left, not trying to change a goddamn thing. Because the cool people, the citizens of the world, just wanted to appreciate the differences and laugh about it over dinner. The culture wars were for old people and fucking assholes. Americans were progressive. We represented youth and vitality. Acceptance came easily to us because America was a melting pot. Most of our parents or grandparents had come from somewhere else and that's what's what made us cool. But you know what? I have never met a cool Christian nationalist. I know lots of great Christians, but once you cross the line into nationalism and start claiming to be better than the rest of us because God or a cult leader said so, I'm fucking sorry, you're a fucking kook and an asshole. And if you've given yourself permission to hate someone because of their ethnicity or sexuality or whatever difference, you are not a real Christian. You're just a fucking hater. Nationalism is not patriotism, it's fanaticism. It's America first, but a very limited America that's white, straight, stupid, and downright fucking mean. You know, it's white supremacy. The Nazis used to be our go-to ideology of hate. They put Germany first, they invaded Europe, they killed six million Jews, and if you weren't taught that in school, ask yourself why. 
but we defeated the Nazis in World War II, so bully for us. But no, we didn't, because people like Marjorie Taylor Greene is a fucking Nazi. Paul Gosar is a fucking Nazi. Doug Mastriano, Tucker Carlson, and Laura Ingram, they're fucking Nazis. Christian nationalists are essentially all Nazis. There, I said it. They are haters, hating in plain sight. When CPAC invites a racist dictator to Dallas to extol the virtues of authoritarianism, it is hate on display and a lame attempt to legitimize Nazis. And hey kids, FYI, Nazis are not cool. They never have been and they never will be. America is a democracy. Let me say that again. America is a democracy. Democracy is cool. And don't let the kooks forget it. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.